Support for Meaningful Conversations comes from Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your very own professional website. Choose a template you love and customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your story exactly the way you want. You can also easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event. Maybe I should do this. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their website. So create yours today and get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash Meaningful Conversations to get 10% off. So don't lose the 10% off. Marianne Williamson is someone I've been friends with for a long time. Her profound work as a best-selling author and lecturer has touched the lives of millions, myself included. And her words have gotten many of us thinking about love, faith, suffering, healing, and the meaning of our one precious life. I'm so blessed that I got a chance to sit down and speak with her for this podcast because like so many of us, Marianne is continuing to evolve and challenge herself to find new ways to move humanity forward. She has a big announcement about her next chapter of life today, and we talk more about that in this episode. So let's dive in. Welcome to Meaningful Conversations, the kind of conversations I love to have. And I've had a few with our next guest, who is the queen of Meaningful Conversations, Marianne Williamson, a prolific writer, a political activist, a friend, and uh, someone who has really gotten a lot of people to think about the concept of meaning, the concept of God, the concept of healing, why we're here, what we're doing. So welcome, welcome, Thank welcome. you so much, Maria. Thank you. It's an honor. Well, you have been in so many different areas, and you're so concerned, I know, about the soul of our country. Where do you think we are right now? in the United States when it comes to the soul of the country? We're having an identity crisis. It's an existential crisis that is fundamentally spiritual in nature, but we keep trying to contextualize it within traditional political terms. Mm -hmm. And when Einstein said you can't solve the problems of the world from the level of thinking that you were at when you created them, that's very relevant to the times in which we live because the deepest problem with America, you know, sometimes the issues are not the issue. There's a deeper issue. Always. And it's a soul conversation. And we keep trying to have it within the purview of mere external events. And external events are the effect. What's happening deep inside, in the soul, in the spirit, in the heart, in the psyche, that's the causal level of things. So, for instance, the reason both the Democratic and Republican establishment elite were gobsmacked by Donald Trump is because they didn't register what was going on deep inside people. That's not on their palate. That's not part of their conversation. You want to have a conversation about what's going on deep inside, below, below, below the story, right? Is that a conversation we can have in our political conversation? First of all, all that a nation is is a collection of people. So the same psychological and emotional processes that mark the journey of an individual 
mark the journey of a nation. And no individual can transform their life. We can't transform things without looking deep within. Mm -hmm. Now, when you say, can we have that within the, the political conversation? Yeah. We can't have it within the current traditional political conversation. So how do we change? How do we do that? How do you do that? By having voices such as yours, such mm -hmm. as mine, such as many people's today, who are talking about the events occurring in this country and around the world in a way that is much more multidimensional and much more expanded than mm -hmm. that which only focuses on external events. So I talk a lot about, um, you know, living a meaningful life, what brings us meaning. I believe that there's so many more good people out there than we hear that the media and the conversation is co-opted really by the extremes. And yet so many people say, I'm living this meaningful life. I'm doing good. I'm raising my kids. And I can't get any traction out there in the political conversation. No one's interested in that part of the conversation. Well, no one maybe within the political establishment is, but I think millions or media and establishment of or media establishment, although Maria, and you certainly know this, in the background, many people in the political establishment and the media establishment are reading the same kinds of books you and I are. Mm -hmm. But they feel they have to perform within a particular container. There's something here about how you can't put new wine in old bottles. Yeah. This is the 21st century. And in every single area, in, in medicine, in business, in education, we've already made a mainstream transformation into a whole-person perspective. Politics is stuck in this 20th century conversation, more specifically in this late 20th century conversation, because before the late 20th century, even the political conversation, certainly the Democratic Party, wasn't so overly secularized and corporatized. Your Uncle Bobby is the one who said, this is about the soul of America. So How do you I describe the soul of America? Well, when I think of the soul, I think of that which is going on way beyond just what's happening on the level of my body. I think of that which is happening not only on the level of my emotions and my psychology, but most specifically, the soul is our goodness. You can call it the Buddha mind, the Christ, the Shekinah, all of the great religious and spiritual traditions speak to something, a God-created essence of who we are, and that the purpose of our lives is to live on the earth in alignment with that deep goodness. I don't think that should just be a question for an individual. I think it should also be a question for a society. Lyndon Johnson talked about the good society. All we talk about anymore is a rich society or a powerful society. We need to talk about a good society. So if you're going to talk about the soul of a nation, you need to talk about a nation reclaiming questions of righteousness and dignity and honor and decency and compassion. The good news is I think a lot of people are starting to think that way because there's nothing like watching indecent or undignified behavior to make you realize, wow, decency and dignity do matter. You have a big announcement about the soul of America and your place in it and your ideas about it. I do, but I want to be clear because the current political conversation would say, well, if you want to talk about the soul of America, you stay in your lane because your lane is about the soul. And what I'm saying is, no, I want to have a political conversation. I'm, I'm making a political announcement, but I wish to see what other generations have seen. And that's a much more expanded political conversation that includes issues of the soul. So you've had this exploratory committee that you've been kind of slowly building to announce what you're announcing, which is 
You well, want to run for president. Well, my exploratory committee absolutely has been that this is to explore the possibility of running for the Democratic nomination for president. And yes, uh, Monday night, January 28th, is the night of an announcement. And I think most people have figured out for themselves what that means. So, Marianne, when you sit back in your room and you're like, I'm going to run for president in 2020, I'm going to take on Donald Trump, I'm going to take on the Democratic establishment, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring for president. I've never held political office. I'm going to run for president. You've got to believe you actually can win. Yes, I think that's a possibility. Donald Trump is president, Maria. So anybody who's talking in terms of predictions and formulas, I mean, what are we talking about? Donald Trump is president. Anything can happen. Nobody who runs for president knows for sure that they are going to win. Nobody who writes a book knows whether or not they're going to have a bestseller. Nobody who makes a movie knows whether or not that movie is going to be the hit. So all of this talk about, well, she will win because she's the most qualified, slam dunk. Oh, he'll win because he was a war hero, slam dunk. I think it's time for us to recognize that something is going on here that is not so easily formulated in rational terms. So running for president, you have to have what I call fire in the belly. You have to want that so much that you will sacrifice everything for it. I'm not sure I agree with that. I think that a certain kind of fire in the belly, so much and wanting it so much that you will sacrifice anything to make it happen, is corruption. Amen. I think, okay. I think the people who, who, who I least admire in politics look at it that way. Okay. I look at it at a much, I think, deeper level. I am willing to do the job if that is the choice of the American people. I am not in any way willing to sacrifice my principles. I'm not in any way willing to sacrifice my beliefs. I'm not in any way willing to sacrifice my truth because to do so would be to withhold the gift that I feel any campaign I run could offer. What is that gift that you could offer? The gift that I could offer is to the best of my ability, talk about what I feel has happened to American democracy, which is that we have been hijacked, which is that our government is no longer performing as a democracy. We have transitioned into whether you call it an oligarchy or a corporatocracy, that our government has basically become a system of legalized bribery, that the undue influence of money is so nefarious that for all intents and purposes, our, our government is more a handmaiden and an advocate for profit maximization for multinational corporations than an advocate and a handmaiden to the needs and the well-being of the American people. Do you think you're equipped to turn it back, to bring us home, to bring us back to our soul, to bring us back to good society? The only thing that can bring it back is if there is a political renaissance in the consciousness of the American people, which is so overwhelming that we begin to, on local levels, on state levels, as well as federal levels, elect people and participate in our government in such a way that government itself will work in an opposite direction that it is now working. Do I think one person, myself or anyone else, can make it all change? No, I can't. We need an uprising. Now, if you were to say, well, we don't need an inspirer-in-chief, we don't need a motiv motivational speaker-in-chief, I would say, well, actually, maybe that's exactly part of the skill set that we need. Because someone who can connect the dots for the American people so that people can recognize really at the deepest level what has happened here and the changes that it will take 
in each of us to become the citizens that we need to be in order to participate in our own communities and our own country in a different way, I feel that's a skill set that I bring as a qualification that matters. You know, we could sit here all day long and debate what people might say, look, you've never run for office, been in office. We're seeing the results of someone who's never been in office. We don't need that. We need somebody who knows how to work both sides of the aisle, knows Washington, knows how to get stuff done. There's a place for somebody like you, but not as the chief executive of this country. Why don't you go run for mayor? You've run for Congress. And we talked yes, after. you were great to me. Uh, well, we talked after that Very and about so. loss uh-huh. and grief and about perhaps you weren't the right messenger, but you had the message. Right. So in the Constitution, when the founders wrote the qualifications for president, they said the president has to be 35 years old, Mm -hmm. the president had to have been born here, and to have lived here for 14 years. Check, check, check. Check, check, check. Check, So if the founders had wanted to say had to have been a governor, had to have been a lawyer, had to have been a congressman, had to have been a senator, they would have. And they didn't. And they didn't because they were leaving it to every generation to determine for itself the skill set that that generation feels is necessary in order to adequately address the challenges of their time. The, the description that you just gave of what expert politicians know how to do, qualified politicians know how to do, that's like saying they're really good at running the car. The problem is not that we didn't have enough good car mechanics. The problem is that this car has been run into the ditch, and the car has been run into the ditch by, quote-unquote, qualified politicians. Qualified politicians took us into Vietnam. Qualified politicians took us into Iraq. Qualified politicians have brought us the largest wealth inequality since 1929. Qualified politicians have given us an environment which is literally, at this moment, possibly a peril to the survival of the human race. There are other kinds of politicians that has to do with vision as well as management. You know, Franklin Roosevelt said that the highest job of the American president is not administrative. The highest, most important aspect of the presidency is moral leadership. The fact that Donald Trump was not someone who had worked in Washington. Mm -hmm. He could have brought in those people if he had wanted to. If he had wanted to bring in the kinds of experts that you and I would honor, he would have, and he could have. So I'm a woman who's been in business. I'm a woman who's had a career for a long time. I know what it is to bring experts together who are the kind of policy experts that are necessary. The point is not that you be an expert at policy, but that you have an understanding of what is really the deeper political issues going on. Like I said, Maria, both establishment politicians on left and right were gobsmacked by the Trump phenomenon because they did not register the economic despair of millions of people who were living daily with such economic trauma that they were going to have a populist cry of despair. Only two candidates mentioned that, Bernie and Trump. So any political establishment that is not registering what's going on inside people knows neither where we've been, the dangers of where they're taking us, and certainly do not know how to take us out of the ditch once we're in it. 
What did you learn from running for office here in California? I think I probably had mentioned this to you at the time. I thought that it was legitimate for me to run because I felt I understood the issues well enough that I could hit the ground running from day one. What I didn't understand or vastly underestimated was the importance of knowing what a political campaign is and how to run one. And many people do lose that first time. I mean, that's that's kind of very, very common. And so what I learned is that it is as important, you know, a a political campaign is a pop-up business, really, and that that is as important as what you have to say and what you would do. So you're doing a pop-up business for running for president? No, I'm just saying that any political campaign is, is a business of sorts, and that how that business is run is as important as the product, which is the candidate and the candidate's message. But what did that loss, and we talked about that after your run, about what you learned from loss, what you learned from losing a congressional race, because there's a lot of lessons, as you well know, in loss. And I'm wondering what you learned from that that you're applying to this. You know, it's interesting. I don't know about what I learned from it that I'm applying to this, but what I learned from it, that's a second question, but what I learned from it, and I see you have my book, Tears to Triumph, here, which is... And Healing the Soul of America, have everything about you here, and in here, and in here. Everything in Tears to Triumph in many ways was based on that experience, and you were very much a part of that. I think I told you that. You had asked me if I was depressed, and I said no. And you The said, day after I asked you I if think you were so. depressed. Yeah. And you said, I know and so. I said no. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know when you run, you, you know, it's a low probability proposition. You made a comment that you had a cousin, I believe. Brother, a, 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 a brother. father, yes. No, Two brothers okay. that all had lost. And had been very depressed. And yes. I said, that's not my experience. About three days later, it hit me. It was a very dramatic, like I saw this black wave coming at me emotionally is how it felt. Given my experience of that, and I had had other times in my life where I had really been down, Mm -hmm. and I learned that the psyche has an immune system just like the body does. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a car accident and you have a very bruised body, you're just going to have to be very gentle while the body is healing. And I feel that the psyche has the same kind of capacity. I think we're too afraid of a sad day in our society. We've taken a cheap yellow smiley face and thrown it on everything. I think that this has led to an epidemic of an overprescription of antidepressants. Agreed. And it has withered our musculature for moving through deep experiences. These painful situations have to do, among other things, with having to look at the mistakes that you made, the things that you would have done differently. Coming out of that... I did not expect to ever be running for office again. That's what you said. Yeah. Yeah. I felt this is an itch I had. I've scratched it. Been there, done that. That didn't work. That door is closed. And my life has always been more than that. So when about a year and a half ago, I was sitting in my room in New York, and this thought dropped in, this feeling dropped in about running for president, it was not anything I would have expected. So wait a second, take me to that moment. You're sitting in your apartment in New York. Yes, in the middle of the day. In the middle of the day. Sitting on my bed. Sitting on your bed. And this feeling of, I should run for president. No, No. it was, I am running for president. This feeling of, (laughs) I am running for president comes in out of the blue. Yes, it really did happen that way. And so why didn't you just go like, (laughs) and push it to the side? Okay. I went through, after that happened... A very profound month that felt like a, it was like nothing ever I quite experienced of, of clarity. 
It was like people talk in recovery about a moment of clarity, yeah. but it was a month of clarity. Then I visited a friend of mine in Washington, D.C., and I crashed onto the rocks of material reality. Like, what, are you crazy? And, you know, it all became real in political terms, and it was a preposterous idea. So at that point, I became very depressed about it because I still felt the call. And yet my mind was saying, that's the worst idea in the world. Then I had to go through phases. One phase was the inevitable humiliation, the inevitable mockery, the inevitable embarrassment, the inevitable mean-spiritedness, the inevitable lies, the inevitable bad pictures, the inevitable, why would I want to do this at this point in my life, do this to myself? Then there were another couple of, of months with other phases of deep questioning, and yet, anytime I would put one foot in front of another, anytime I would just walk towards anything, an interesting kind of yes would arrive to the point. This was not an impulsive decision. This is something I've lived with very seriously and in deep conversation with very serious people who I respect and love very much. Well over a year, this did not, and even then I've started an exploratory. This is a very serious thing to do, not just for my life, but at this point, particularly, Maria, I would not do anything to contribute anything I felt was silly to this process. Don't go away. We'll have more of the conversation in just a moment. But first, let's talk about one of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Skillshare, an online learning community for creators that offers more than 25,000 classes in design, business, and more. On Skillshare, you can fuel your curiosity, your creativity, and your career by taking classes in social media marketing, mobile photography, creative writing, or even illustration. Let's face it, we all can have room to grow and evolve, and that being a lifelong learner will help us all get smarter and wiser at any age. And with courses like crafting personal essays to calligraphy to coding, Skillshare has something for everyone. So whether you're looking to discover a new passion, start a side hustle, or gain new professional skills, Skillshare is there to keep you learning, thriving, and reaching those new year goals. If you visit www.skillshare.com slash meaningful today, you can get two months of Skillshare for free. That's good. That's two months of unlimited access to over 25,000 classes for free. Go to www.skillshare.com slash meaningful to start your two months now. Get learning. This episode of Meaningful Conversations is brought to you by Swell Investing, an impact investing platform that helps new and experienced investors better understand where their money goes and how it grows. With Swell, investors get to choose how every one of their dollars is invested and where they want the money to have impact, from renewable energy to disease eradication to clean water. Most investors don't actually know much about the companies that they're backing, but Swell is working to change that. If you want to create the world we want to live in someday, it's probably a good idea to start paying attention where we're putting our dollars. Swell wants to help your money make a difference. And if you visit www.swellinvesting.com slash meaningful today, you'll get a $50 bonus when you open a new account. Once again, that's www.swellinvesting.com slash meaningful. Swell, invest in progress. Now let's get back to the conversation. 
He said that you had to confront the inevitable mockery, humiliation, lies, etc., etc. How does one prepare for mockery, humiliation, lies, the tearing down of one's entire life? Well, on one hand, ask me in six months. A friend of mine said, the only way you can do this is full-on Buddha. I am not someone who thinks of myself as emotionally detached. But I do know that a certain level of thick skin, you know, it's interesting about thick skin and thin skin. The upside of thin skin is, is a thin membrane between you and others that makes you empathic and compassionate, and you can feel where people are. The downside is thin-skinned on a personality level. I've been very aware of this issue. I've been smeared before. I know what it is to be made fun of and mocked and all of that early in my career. Horrible, horrible. You just terrible. And you walk into a room and you feel like people are looking at you like, oh, I know who you are. And you're thinking, you so don't know who I am. You read a freaking People magazine article. You know what I'm saying? You do not know who I am. And I have felt as part of this preparation over the last few months, almost like a another skin growing inside of me that I hope is the hand of God. But I assume there will be moments of tears, and I assume that there will be moments of pain. How could there not be? I'm sure you've read Michelle Obama's book. I haven't read it yet. It's really good. Yeah. It's really good. And what did something in that book Well, she talks about things that people would say about her and how it hurt, but she would... One of the things that I have realized already... And I had realized this a while ago when I would experience things, certain things. If somebody would say, have you read that article? I'd say, no, and I don't want to. Right. One of the things I'm already experiencing is a realization that I don't have to read every comment on social media. Right. People are struggling. You, you talk about here tears of triumph, spiritual healing for the modern plagues of anxiety and depression. And it seems like everywhere one goes today, you're talking to people who are anxious, depressed, <clears throat> feeling lost, feeling scared, terrified, wondering, are we going to be okay? What's happening? What do you think is the cure for all of that? And uh, I should say, perhaps first, the cause of all of that. One of the things that I've said to audiences quite a few times is, if you're looking at what's going on in the world today, and what's going on in our democracy, and you're not depressed, what is wrong with you? These are sobering times. These are legitimately upsetting times. Our democracy is under assault. So you think it's healthy to be anxious there about is what's a, going on? Sometimes the fact that you're upset about something is a sign of mental health. Right. And in many ways, what has happened in our country, the forces that so many of us are concerned about, they're like an opportunistic infection. They would not have been able to take hold the way they have had there not been a weakened societal immune system and too many citizens thinking everything was okay when really it wasn't okay or maybe it was okay in your neighborhood but that doesn't mean it was okay in everybody's neighborhood or things were happening that a conscious observer should have known years ago were not leading us down a path of righteousness and goodness and harmony and peace and health the fact that we weren't just a little bit of upset when things were just a little bit of a problem. You know, if you go to an oncologist, the oncologist doesn't say, well, it's only stage one, so we don't have to worry about it. 
you deal with it. You nip it in the bud. So the fact that we've all been too engaged, disengaged, disengaged, I mean, to be concerned about things when they were already concerning, it's a kind of crisis of adulthood that we've had in this society. You're a mother. I'm a mother. It's part of being not only a parent, but the adult generation that you're aware you have to tend to your relationships. You have to tend to your to your children. You have to tend to your job. You have to tend to your home. You have to tend to things or chaos will rule and we have to tend to our democracy. We were not serious enough. This happened because too many of us were, were disengaged, some of us justifying that political disengagement through a kind of spurious spiritual perspective. So the fact that we're all upset now and realizing this is the 11th hour and we better rise to the occasion fast is totally appropriate. Where do you find meaning, Marianne? What gives you meaning in your life that gets you up every day and puts you on the path to your meaningful life? I feel that we're all being called right now. Many are called. You know, there's a line in The Course in Miracles where it says, many are called, but few are chosen. means everyone's called. Few care to listen. I think we're all being called. There's a a line in the Talmud, the Jewish Book of Wisdom, where it says that over every (coughs) blade of grass, there's an angel bent over whispering, grow, grow, grow. There's always the next phase where I could be better, where I could be more loving, where I could get it right. None of us are perfect, but the challenge that today I could be better than I was yesterday, and more, more than that even, is knowing that millions of people are feeling the same impulse right now. It's like an immune system. The body knows what to do. You know, if you're hurt, the immune system goes into goes into effect. And that's true in civilization. Immune cells waking up. But what do you are you doing like with your podcast? What's living your meaningful life that it is giving you meaning to go out into the world to talk about these issues, that this is your calling and therefore you're right on track to living this kind of life? Well, I would say yes to everything. And then you got into, therefore, you're right on track. It was yes to everything until then. And then more often than not, not all the time. I'm not a perfect person. I'm not an enlightened master. I have aspects of my own personality where I'm still working things out. But do I feel, and I feel this is important as a woman, Mm -hmm. do I feel good enough? I'm 66 years old. At what point am I going to say, yeah, you know, I have some things to say. You know, you probably know Linda Gooper, Donna yeah. Gooper. Uh-huh. I remember she, her saying to me when I turned 50, 50 is the age past which you don't care what they think anymore. What I've, and I thought that it was so amazing when she said that because that was exactly how I felt. Mm-hmm. But I felt something else at 60. Not only do you not care what they think, you can't be quiet about it. You know, my father died in 1994, but I have felt him almost whispering in my ear since this whole Trump phenomenon started, and it's almost as though I feel the spirit of my father, and he would be saying, this must not go unanswered. And that's not somebody else's job to do. That's your job to do, my job to do, everyone's job to do. Nobody can sit this out. This is an all-hands-on-deck moment. And all any of us should be asking at some deeper level is, how can I best serve? So this is you in the arena. You think you can win. You believe you can win. But it's okay if you don't because you don't want to be quiet. Well, there is a phrase I once heard that I think is so profound. I don't know who first said it. To be totally invested in an effort and unattached to the results. 
I know that. I love it's that. It's a great one, isn't That's it? That's a great one and very hard to do. Easy to say, but in politics, you have to be, the result is what you're striving for, But you know right? what, Maria? Yeah. I believe that if I do say exactly what I honestly mean and feel and stay true to myself, that is the path to whatever victory is meant to be. Totally focused, but unattached to the results. Well, you once again, we're human beings. Right, I know, but, but that's something I'm you're going to keep reminding yourself about. But you know what, Maria? I felt that I've had a 35-year career. Yeah. And, you know, anytime I've tried to lose weight, I've failed. Anytime I've tried to write a bestseller, I've failed. The only times in life that I've, or the times in life when I've had the most success, were when I was true to myself and true to my heart and true to my own spiritual innocence. You know, people can smell it when you're not. Right. People can smell it when you're not. True to yourself, Mary, what does that mean for you today? What it means today is, first of all, that I am planning to make this announcement because this is my heart's calling. So today, you're running for president, that's what it means to be true to yourself. This is you saying, I'm in, and I'm unattached to whatever happens, but I'm not going to be quiet. I'm going to raise these issues. I'm going to have these conversations. I'm going to push this conversation into the political consciousness, the spiritual consciousness, the conversation consciousness, whatever. I'm just going to push it wherever I can. Well, there's more to that. And I think people are going to respond. Well, I think that that's lovely. However, it doesn't (laughs) stop there. That's lovely, Maria. No, no, please don't get me wrong. I didn't mean that in a minimizing way. I'm just saying there's more to it than that. Because what you said lies within the context of, that's great, Marianne, you'll elevate the conversation. And I think that women have internalized the belief that Mm -hmm. we can only go so far, that we can maybe advise the people who actually have power, that we can elevate, you can get your message out there. No, 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 no. I'm already out there. So no, I'm running. If I do this, I'm running. And I once again, I'm running. So no, I'm not seeking to just put these issues out there. It is too late in the game to just put these issues out there. We must turn these issues into policy. And I'm running because I believe that I'm the person. And I I believe others too. I think other great people are running. Don't get me wrong. I love this quote here. You have, love is its own brand of genius. Our only true enemy is neither people nor institutions, but fear-laden thoughts that cling to our insides and sap us of our strength. Yet love casts out fear the way light casts out darkness. Our greatest political power now is to fear nothing and love everything. Then all things will heal. Love is the only power strong enough to lift the chairs, chains of bondage from the human race and cast them off for good. If we believe that, how can you allow millions of American children to go to school every day in schools where there aren't even functioning toilets? If we believe that, how can we not address more deeply the trauma, that the rolling trauma, the chronic trauma that millions of American children experience every day? If we believe that, why would we be giving so many more resources in the direction of preparing for war and so few comparatively resources in the direction of building peace? What you just said, if we do not translate that into Mm -hmm. what it would mean in political terms, then I fear for the future of my democracy and I fear for the future of the human race. And you said to blend love and politics is indeed audacious. Politics is a fear-based pursuit in America today. And love is the only thing that fear fears. Love is the ultimate political rebellion. 
That's you, what you're doing. Your Uncle John mm-hmm. said we cannot afford to be materially rich and spiritually poor. And that's what we are right now in that your estimation. Ex- well, that is what we are. Not as people. I think we're good and decent people. But in terms of how our government <coughs> operates, where its bottom line is profit maximization for multinational corporations who are the primary donors, where that is the bottom line, I don't believe we, that is a problem. That is a spiritual problem. It means we have swerved from the ethics of our democracy and the ethics of inherent in any kind of right-minded capitalism. And, and I believe that a return to the moral values and the ethical values, if, if you say a government of the people, for the people, by the by people, the and people. for the people, the founding of American democracy was not just a political step forward. It was a moral and spiritual step forward for the human race. We should not be run like a business. We should be run like a family. This was a philosophical notion. Speaking of the Constitution, James Madison, who wrote the Constitution, was not a lawyer. He studied philosophy and Hebrew at Princeton. These are deep philosophical notions. If you leave out, what is it to be good? What is it to be loving? What is it to be righteous? What is it, in, is it to be in right-minded relationship with each other? What is it to be in right-minded relationship with the earth? If we leave those questions out of our political conversation, Mm -hmm. then our political conversation goes where it has gone, in an amoral direction. And amorality is essentially beastly. So you're saying, really, come home. That's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. Come home. Thank you. Let's gather around the table. Let's talk, because these are the issues. And politics is narrow. This is broad. This is holistic. Come home. And to come home to those first principles that John Adams said we must revisit, that all men are created equal, that God gave all of us unalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that governments were instituted to to secure those rights. You know, in the Jewish religion, it says every generation must rediscover God for itself, and every generation must rediscover our love and our commitment to democracy. They can't just be principles on marble walls. They can't just be principles on documents. They have to be principles fired up in our hearts, or this whole thing begins to unravel, and it has begun to unravel. And I believe the greatest qualification for a presidency at this time would be someone who knows how to reweave those ideas within the human heart. You scared? I am appropriately nervous, but I'm not as scared as I am for the fate of my country if our direction does not change. Amen. Marianne Williamson, you'll continue to come back and talk to us about how you're doing. Thank you. How it feels and whether you think you're actually reweaving our country and whether it's coming home. Thank you, Maria. Marianne Williamson. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Meaningful Conversations. And thanks to Marianne Williamson for joining me. If you're looking for more inspiration and words of wisdom, then please sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Sunday Paper. It's free. Just visit my website, mariashriver.com, to subscribe. And I hope you'll also check out my book, I've Been Thinking, and its new companion, I've Been Thinking, The Journal. Like this podcast, these books were created to help you on your path to a meaningful life. More details on my website about those as well. Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to being in community with you again right here each Monday.